Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Joe Posnanski. Joe is the senior baseball writer for Sports on Earth and author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Paterno. You can give Joe a follow on Twitter at Jay Posnanski. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. It's great to be here. Well, Joe, let's start at the beginning, I guess. Tell me what initially attracted you to baseball in the first place. Oh, you know, I I probably have a similar tale to tell as everybody else. It was something uh, that I was drawn to when I was a little kid. Uh, You know, I think the earliest... uh, Video we have of of uh, of me of, or film we have of me is his old uh, Super 8 film of me swinging uh, a little plastic bat at a ball and and uh, it just sort of followed from there. I I always uh, always was drawn to it. I was drawn to to, to pretty much all sports, but uh, but baseball always had uh, uh, a little special, a little more special feel for me. It was the it was the game I was. Uh, I was best at, although I was not very good. It was still the game I was best at, and uh, and have loved it ever since. Were you collecting baseball cards as well? Oh yeah, very much so. Big big baseball card collector, the mid seventies, and uh, you know it, it's pretty much everything. I mean, you know, I was I loved going to the games. Uh, grew up in Cleveland, and we'd go to old Cleveland Municipal Stadium and be you know one of 72 people in the entire gargantuan place and and watch baseball collected cards of course and and uh followed in the paper i i just pretty pretty typical and and i would say at that time in the 70s certainly in cleveland i think that was pretty much everybody i i you know i i every every kid in my class i think was was pretty much the same way Joe, we're going to do a lot of Hall of Fame talk today, but before we get into your general voting philosophy uh, and who you plan to vote for, let's talk about the steroid era itself. How do you think the writers covered the story as it was happening? Well, obviously not very well. I mean, in, certainly in retrospect, I think it, it was it was a much, much, you know, it, it, things tend to get simplified over time. I mean, uh, it, it was not talked about at the time. I mean, it was certainly nothing players talked about. It was certainly nothing that that uh, that GMs and and managers and and other people in baseball whispered about. I mean, now you hear people say all the time, "Oh, they heard whispers. They heard this." People would say stuff. I I was around the game, and and nobody, you know, people just didn't talk about it. So it was it was very very much uh, very hush hush and and. Uh, you know, I, I think it was something that, that people probably should have been much more attuned to. Uh, steroids were obviously a very big part of sports. <clears throat> but it really, it, it's it's very interesting to me. I think that at that time, baseball sort of was immune to a lot of the talk because there was this ongoing sort of theme that being muscular couldn't help you in baseball. You know, it, 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 in football, it obviously everybody knew it, but baseball players shouldn't didn't have to work out baseball players didn't lift weights baseball players you know it didn't it didn't matter how strong you were it was all about reflexes and timing and eye court hand eye coordination and and those sorts of things and of course as we came to find out being in in great shape and being hugely you know muscular and strong of course help you in baseball like they help you in everything else but but at the time that was a very big big thought and and I, I think that probably had something to do with it. I mean, steroids, you know, obviously at the Olympics and in the NFL, they were very, very, uh, they were very, very much discussed. But in baseball, they really weren't. And and uh, so I would say overall, you know, the writers didn't do very well. But I, I, I don't blame the writers as much as I blame baseball itself. And baseball did not police itself at the time. And and uh, you know, it was it was very much uh, a, a secret kept by uh, by a lot of people. When did your suspicions of PED use and steroid use first come into play? When was the first time you heard about a player or heard rumors of a player possibly using steroids? Well, I think McGuire certainly was the was the the key. I think that was in '98, and you know, but by then, uh, you know, it, it had become a little bit a part of the game. Um, Tom Verducci wrote the the, the famous uh, story not long after that about uh, about Ken Caminiti and and uh, and steroid use in baseball and so on and so forth. And and I'm sure there were, you know, a few a few flickerings here and there. But McGuire was the first one, you know, when when he when he was uh, when you know they found Andro, you know, in his locker and and the the you know what that created and how some people were very angry about it and other people were very angry that his privacy was 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 involved and and you know people were 
really very much back and forth on the whole subject. And I think that was the first time that I really remember becoming a a big part of the game. And, and it didn't even then, you know, the, as, as much as, as that was a big story at the time, the 98 season and McGuire and Sosa and all the home runs, I mean, it was pretty much celebrated and lauded all the way through. It wasn't really until Barry Bond started hitting all the home runs that it became this sort of, dark, you know, mark on the game. And, and, and that's really when I think it started, uh, started changing. How much do you think we actually know about steroids? How much do you think they actually increase performance? Well, I think those, those two questions are very directly related. I, I don't know how much we know. I, you know, it's, it's something that, that, that there are a lot of things in baseball, and I always find this fascinating. There are not really accepted stats, for instance, when it comes to defense in baseball. I mean, there are defensive statistics, but largely they're they're pretty much, you know, the, the people don't really look at them as being especially, you know, telling or whatever. Um, so when people talk about how somebody's a great defensive player, they kind of just put their own judgment on it, their own spin on it. You know, it's 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 not something they can really back up with numbers. So it's something they back up with, well, this is what I saw, this is what my eyes tell me. And I think it's the same thing with steroids. When when you look at at how much does steroids help somebody hit, it kind of it, it depends who's doing the talking. If somebody is very, very anti-steroids, they will tell you that Mark McGuire would have hit zero home runs had he not used steroids. If it's somebody who is you know, somewhat more liberal, they might take off 10% or 20% of, of a guy's performance. And then there, there are those that think steroids don't help at all, that steroids, uh, that uh, they, they can make you stronger, but that they don't really help you play the game. I mean, there are not as many of those that, as there used to be, but there are a few still left. So it's a very, very interesting thing, and it's a very difficult thing to actually test. How do you, how do you actually prove something? I mean, clearly, you look back at, at 73 home runs and 70 home runs and 65 home runs and so on, and you go, okay, well, steroids had to play a huge role in those kind of incredible numbers. But there were a lot of things that, that the game you know, was geared toward offense at that time, and the strike zone was, was very, very small at the time. The ballparks were, you know, were much more hitter-friendly in, in the 90s. Uh, the bats had changed. There were a lot of things. The balls were probably livelier. So there were a lot of things that really uh, pushed offense forward, and then there were steroids, which you know, played a, certainly a huge role as well. And it's very, very difficult to tell how much um, was steroid-related and how much wasn't. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's it's one of those things that's truly impossible to prove unless you did a control uh, testing right. where you had a third of baseball using steroids, a third who were clean, and a third given a placebo. That's obviously never going to happen. That that would be the only way to actually prove how much effect that they had. And, and and let's not forget, steroids are not just muscle pills. You don't just take them and suddenly you're super strong and super powerful and super great. I mean, they the, what they do is they increase you know the ability to work out. They increase the ability to uh, to uh, to build muscle, um, you know, they have small um, you know, effects on their own, but largely their great effect is they allowed Mark McGuire to work out. They allowed Barry Bonds to work out, uh, you know, long and far beyond what uh, what they normally would have been able to, and that's what helped build muscle, and that's what helped made them strong. So, so even if you could come up with the with the control group, you're absolutely right. Then you'd have to say, well, how much are they working out? How much are they actually using? Uh, how much are they building? What kind of steroids are they using? I mean, there's there's just a million variables, and and uh, no, there's really no way. And I think it it comes down essentially to uh, a person's judgment um, and and uh, and and guesswork. I mean, it's as far as how much it really helps. But but I think what's come about in the last, I'd say, seven or eight years, um, but especially this year with the ballot as it is. I think people have, have really made it black and white. I think people have said, okay, well, steroids was cheating. Um, and so everything that was done with steroids is illegitimate in some way, shape, or form. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's become a very prominent point of view and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, I think a very interesting one. It's not one I agree with, but it's, it's one that uh, certainly is, uh, certainly is uh, carrying the day at the moment. Yeah, and Michael Silverman from the Boston Herald came on a few episodes ago, and we were talking about how we don't make any distinction between 
steroid users at all. If someone tests positive, we assume they use their whole career, which is grossly unfair. But we don't do this with any other sort of recreational drugs. We understand that some people um, smoke marijuana every day and some people smoke twice a year, and I think we view those people differently. But with steroids, it's all into the same pot. If you used, you used your whole career. Even if someone that we – let's look at a a clean player or at least someone that we suspect is clean, Derek Jeter. Now, there's no question at this point that Derek Jeter has had a Hall of Fame career, correct? Sure. If Derek Jeter were to test positive now, everything he's done previously would be thrown out the window. It makes no sense. Well, it's that exact thing has happened with Barry Bonds. I think even the biggest Barry Bonds critics – tend to believe he didn't use before the late 90s. Uh, so the player that he was, which was a clear Hall of Famer by 1999, 1998, um, is being called into question based on what he did afterward. And, and it, is, it is a fascinating question. I mean, again, how much do they use? What, what role did it play in their, in their workout scene? Which, you know, it's, these, are, these are, first of all, they're impossible to answer. Um, and secondly, they're, they're really not being asked. Those very questions are not being asked. I don't think people are that interested, uh, at least from what I've been able to see, in really breaking down how much did steroids help these players, what, what was legitimate, what wasn't. I, I, don't, I don't get the sense that question's being asked. I think it's, it's much, much more about did they use um, and then how do, you, how do you punish them or how do you – relate that to the times or, or whatever the case may be. And, and like I say, that's, that seems to be the theme that's carrying the day at the moment. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I mean, I'm, I, I knew this was going to be a, a hugely controversial ballot for instance, this year, but you know, a few years passed and I did wonder, you know, Hey, is this thing going to start fading a little bit? It's certainly, People don't talk about steroids in football. People don't talk about steroids in other in other realms the same way that uh, that they still do in baseball, and and uh, and it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Yeah, and I think that steroids do increase performance. I think that to the degree that they do is is certainly unknown, but I think it has been overstated a little bit. I think that the leaders, the home run leaders, would look very similar if those guys never used steroids in the 90s. They just perhaps wouldn't have hit as many. We have reason to believe that McGuire would have been a great power hitter without steroids. How much of an effect, we don't know. I do think they made an impact. I do think it's been overstated. We know this because there's a ceiling with some guys. One of the guys that tested positive this year was Freddie Galvins. Freddie Galvins, I think, tested positive for an old-school East German anabolic steroid. He was one of the worst haters in baseball. (laughs) The idea that you could simply take steroids and have a Hall of Fame career is ridiculous. Sure it is. Sure it is. And, and, and again, there are so many other factors when it came to the 90s and offense. I mean, there, the game was in a lot of trouble. We all remember this. After the strike, people really were turned off as, as well they should have been after the cancellation of the World Series. The, the game, like it always had before when it was in trouble, turned to offense, turned to the home run. And, you know, I, I'm – you know, a big believer that the game turned its turned the other way when it came to steroids. I, I, I have no question in my mind about that. But all these other factors that that clearly played a role the 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 body armor that you were allowed to you know to wear when you went up to the plate, the small strike zones, the stadiums, the the baseballs themselves. I mean, these these were these are factors and big factors when it comes to offense, and and that doesn't detract. I I also believe that steroids are performance enhancing. I, I definitely believe that to be true. And I definitely believe that a super, it takes a supernatural kind of, of, uh, of, of performance to hit 70 home runs in a season. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's beyond extraordinary, but does that mean he would have hit 20 home runs if he didn't take steroids? No, I don't, it doesn't. And, and would he still have led the league? Sure. I, I think, I think the question um, you know, is, is being asked in a different way uh, by, by a lot of people. The question is being asked by some, did this make them into Hall of Fame players? Okay, so that's one way to look at it. Then there's another way to look at it. Did using this delegitimize everything they did in baseball? Then that's another way to look at it. And, and I think as long as people keep looking at steroids in different ways, um, for instance, in a Hall of Fame ballot, they're going to vote no for different reasons, and I think that's that's sort of why it's going to be very very difficult. I think for anybody, uh, even players presumed clean, to to get into the Hall of Fame this year. 
Yeah, I think we're going to have a year where no one gets in, and it's amazing. There are 11 guys on the ballot that have a war, baseball reference war, of 60 or higher. Plus, there's McGuire, Sosa, and Piazza who fall just below 60. That's 14 guys. You're talking about the most stacked ballot we've ever seen. I guess the question is, what are we accomplishing by keeping them out? Well, I don't know that it's like that. I mean, you know, to to, to speak up on behalf of people that are that are voting uh, their conscience. You know, the Hall of Fame is a reward. It's it's not it's not something somebody earns. It's not something you know that that you like at the end of the day like a paycheck. You get it because you were such a great player. It's a it's an honor, and an honor is something that you know people vote for, and and it's something that you that that they believe you get for not only being a great player, but also playing the game fairly and playing the game with honor or whatever the case may be. So I understand where they're coming from. I really do. It's not like I look at somebody who is not voting for Barry Bonds or, or Roger Clemens and thinking, oh, well, they're, this is ridiculous. I don't even know where they're coming from. I, I understand it. And I think that's really what we're talking about. And I do think, by the way, that, that this year is going to be a year unlike any other year, not only because the, the ballot is so stacked, but I think next year there will be people that vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens who are not voting this year, who, who are basically voting against them this year to send some sort of message. Again, not something I agree with, not something I would do, but I see where they're coming from, and I, I at least understand it. It's interesting, though, and, and uh, you, you're a good person to talk to on this. You wrote the Joe Paterno book, Paterno. Legacy is a complicated thing. Sure. I think that there's no better example of that in recent sports history than Joe Paterno. For many, many people, Joe Paterno is a leader. He's a teacher. He's someone that gave millions of dollars to charity, to a school. He also was complacent or possibly enabled a child molester. He overlooked a child molester towards the end of his career. He's both. And I think we want people who are good to be all good and people who are bad to be all bad. And some people are, but most people aren't. Barry Bonds is one of the best players of all time, and he used steroids. And steroids will always be a part of Barry Bonds' legacy, whether or not he's in the Hall of Fame or not. If Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame, his legacy is still steroids. If he's in the Hall of Fame, he will still always be remembered for steroids. Whether he's in the Hall of Fame doesn't actually change that. No, it doesn't. I, I would, I would take you know what you were saying about about Joe Paterno and and about Barry Bonds. I, I think you said at some point you said you know some people are you know we expect them to be all good or all bad, and some people are. No, I think nobody is. I, I think that's that's the that's the big fallacy. I mean that was that was the big big point I was trying to make in the Joe Paterno book. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's all good. Nobody's all bad. I, I mean it's it's. It's you know it's it's very convenient and 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 in some ways you know uh, encouraging to think that way because it simplifies things. Um, Barry Bonds was the absolutely uh, before before it, this ever happened. You, you know, assuming that he did not take steroids until 1998, Barry Bonds has an argument as the greatest left fielder of all time before that ever happened. I mean, right there with, with, with Ted Williams. I mean, that's, that's how great a player he was. He was a, what, three, four-time MVP, and he was, you know, power, speed, defense, the whole gamut. He was an absolutely extraordinary player. Not, not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but a 98% first ballot Hall of Famer. An absolute, you, the only reason you'd vote against him is because you didn't like him kind of Hall of Famer. So then steroids comes along and he becomes superhuman. He becomes this, this monster that, that nothing in baseball has ever touched and nothing in baseball ever will touch. I mean, he was intentionally walked 120 times in a season. I mean, he was too good for the game. He literally became too good for the game. Now, was that steroids? Sure, it was partly steroids. It was partly the fact that he was really, really good before this ever happened. And when you mix those two things in that environment, in that era, in a time when pitching was, was not very good and the strike zone was bad and, and, and balls were flying out and bats were hard and all these other things, we, we had this superhuman performance by Barry Bonds. Does that detract from what he did up to that point? No. Does it make him a superhero for, for doing that? No, he cheated the game at the same time. But it's all of these things and thinking about all of these things without letting go of one part of it 
you know, that's, that's hard to do. And it's hard to do with everybody. It's hard to do. Anytime you look at somebody's legacy, there's, there's a negative, there are positives, there's, there, there are double play ground outs and home runs. And you've got to really try to find a way, uh, I think when looking back at somebody's life to, to make it all make sense and try to figure out, you know, what, what's important and what matters. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to do, but I, I think that's that's what we're asked to do when we're uh, voting for the Hall of Fame. Do you think that there are already players in the Hall of Fame who have used steroids? Yes, I do. I I, I think it's it's multiple. I mean, and, and I, I I have no people in mind. By the way, I mean I've, I've spoken about this with uh, with Bill James, and he's convinced, and I think he has a couple of players in mind. I don't, I don't know who they are, but. I don't mean it in a specific way. I mean it in a general way. The steroids have been around since the late 60s. They were a big problem in baseball, in football in the 70s and 80s. You're telling me players didn't use? I, I, don't, I don't see it. I, I don't see any real possibility of that. And I don't see any real possibility um, that some of those people who used weren't the best players. The best players tend to be the ones that are willing to do what it takes to be great. That's That's part of their... You know, it's something they we celebrate them for, and it's something that uh, that brings them down when uh, when it when it you know they start crossing lines. I agree, and and the the former trainer for the San Diego Chargers when they were still in the American Football League in the in the '60s was giving his team steroids. They sure. were all basically using steroids, and of course, no one talks about this because no one cares that football players use steroids. But when Scott Schoenweiss tests positive, it's national news in baseball. But a whole team was using steroids essentially. Oh, sure. And then they weren't the only ones. They weren't the only ones. Do we really believe that if a whole team was using, that if other players were using in the 60s and the 70s in the NFL, that it wasn't even possible that baseball players might have been using? I don't understand why we just assume that it wasn't even possible. No, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think it's – I think it's, it's probable um, that multiple players in the, in the Hall of Fame are used. And I also think it's probable that if we ever did find out, if somebody ever came forward, if the people that ever came forward that are in the Hall of Fame, I think we'd be shocked. I really do. I, I don't think it's necessarily – I think one of the big traps of steroid use is that you can somehow figure out who they are based on their stats, based on their personalities, based on whatever. No way. I, I think there is somebody in the Hall of Fame right now who if they came out and admitted it, that they use steroids, everybody across the entire country would be absolutely blown away how shocked they were. Because that's – you know, like I said, it's the thing that drives people to greatness – in, in many ways, the same thing that drove people to take steroids. And they weren't taking steroids um, for their health. They were, you know, you know, in Mark McGuire's case, maybe he was. But they were taking steroids to become better at the game and make more money and get more fame and, and all of the things that drive people to be great. And, and that's what's so, so interesting about it. We want them to push themselves to the very limits, but we don't want them to push them beyond. And, and, and that's... That's a very, very small line between where that limit ends and where, where the beyond part begins. Well, and it's fascinating because if a, a member of the Hall of Fame actually came out and admitted steroid use, but actually said, look, I took steroids, this is what it did, I felt I could hit more home runs, I was driving the ball better, and actually explained what they felt they did, wouldn't that be great if we could actually get more information? The problem is we've created such a culture of vitriol where we compare steroid users to pedophiles or crooked cops or... Every other criminal in the world is now – these steroid guys are lumped in with these guys. And I think unfairly, wouldn't it be great if we could get actual information, but there's no incentive for anyone to do that? Oh. Why would someone in the Hall of Fame – why would someone who's in the Hall of Fame right now who's rewarded and honored and does all these signings wherever they do, why would they come out and say, I just want to let you know for five years at the end of my career I use steroids? What and possible what. motive do they have? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'd recommend to any one of them not to do it. I, I'd give them every disincentive in the entire world not to do it. I, we saw what happened with Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire came out and admitted using steroids. He's the only one that really came out, held a press conference, obviously uh, A-Rod did when he was caught, but McGuire is the only one people suspected he used it. Uh, they even were sure that he used it because that, that, that jump from suspecting to, to sureness is very small in our, in our society today. But he, he was not caught. There was absolutely no evidence that he used. He came out and admitted it. And I've, and I've said this over and over again to people around the game that he was treated so badly 
for doing that. And people say, well, all he did was he, he just wanted to get back in baseball, so he admitted it. Well, so what? I don't care what his reason was. He wanted to be a, a coach. He wanted to be a hitting coach in baseball. I mean, that, that, those guys don't get paid anything. He wanted to do that. He wanted to be around the game. He admitted it. And instead of being celebrated for that, and I'm not saying he should go to the Hall of Fame based on it, but at least say, hey, look, good for him. At least he admitted it. He said he's going to try to fight against steroid use. Good for him. Maybe he didn't admit it quite to the level that we wanted. Maybe he didn't give us all the details we needed, but he admitted using steroids. He, he clearly is, is, is sorry about it. He wants to get back in the game. He wants to do good. Instead of that, basically, he was, he was absolutely destroyed. And, uh, and, you know, so now if anybody would ask you as a friend, hey, look, I use steroids. Should I go out and admit it? What would you say to them as a friend? I mean, you, it's very clear what the reaction is going to be out there if you do go out and admit using steroids. And, and so, um, no, I, I don't think we'll ever find out who those players are in the Hall of Fame unless somebody else tells us. I don't think anybody in the Hall of Fame would ever admit it, uh, not publicly. And I think this is all bad for baseball. I think baseball is trying to move on. They do have strict testing in place now. But they can't move on when some of the best players in the game are not getting into the Hall of Fame. In the end, when you ignore a generation of players, you ignore a generation of fans. You can't get away with that. Look what happened to boxing and horse racing when they ignored a generation of fans. The Hall of Fame itself, as a, as a museum, already does a poor job representing players of the last 30 years, not just in terms of who's in. But I went there last summer, and I had a great time. My wife and I went. We enjoyed it. We spent all day there. But at one point she asked me, is Gary Carter in the Hall of Fame? I said, yeah, we saw his plaque earlier. And she said, but how come there's nothing else? If you're going to the Hall of Fame expecting to see lots of stuff of Gary Carter, Ozzie Smith, Dave Winfield, Tony Gwynn, you will be disappointed. There's not that much stuff from the last 30 years in the museum. Now when you take into effect that they're ignoring players, this is going to create a problem with fans. You can't ignore a generation of fans and still be successful. Yeah, you know, look, I, I think we can sometimes over overemphasize, you know, what the Hall of Fame is and what the Hall of Fame means. I mean, it's it's a small place. Uh, the plaque room, as you pointed out, is is really the, the to me it's as big a letdown as anything uh, <laughs> out there. Because you go in and they're just the plaques, and you have to find them yourselves, and you have to know what year they were inducted in order to even in order to even to find the guy you wanted, and then you're running across a bunch of guys that don't belong in the Hall of Fame while while trying to get to the guy you want to see. And um, you know it's a it's a it's a it's a nice room. I, I've I've recommended I've said that I think they should have an inner sanctum of the Hall of Fame for the hundred best players of all time, and and make that a living museum and and have a lot more fun with it and a lot more uh, you know a lot more energy a lot more enthusiasm. But you're absolutely right as far as the Hall of Fame goes. If you're a big fan of Gary Carter or Dave Winfield or Rod Carew, you're not going to see a lot of, of of those guys there at the Hall of Fame. That's Partly that's, you know, the museum is not, you know, a, a 500-acre, you know, farm or whatever. I mean, it's not big enough for some of these things. But part of it is also the way it's constructed. And, and I do think that the way the Hall of Fame is right now, there are a lot of people that don't want steroid users in the Hall of Fame. I don't even mean uh, writers. I mean fans. There are a lot of fans that don't want Barry Bonds there, that don't want Mark McGuire there, that don't want Roger Clemens there, so on and so on and so on. But I don't think those are the people that be going to the Hall of Fame. I got to be honest with you. I don't think you know. I've, I've people have said to me, "The day Barry Bonds goes to the Hall of Fame is the day I never return." Them. Wow. How often are you going to the Hall of exactly. Fame right now? You know. I mean, it's to me. You want to celebrate the game. That's what the Hall of Fame is all about. Celebrate the game. And the game was pretty great from 1996 to 19, you know, 2004 or five or whenever they started texting. Uh, it, it's that shifted the game in many, many ways. It made the game more popular, you know, as far as going to going to the ballpark. The numbers were enormous. The home runs shifted, you know, America's perception of baseball. And that's 
maybe that shouldn't have happened. Maybe, maybe, you know, it's something that people look back with shame, but it's a part of baseball history and, and uh, it should be celebrated. Yeah, it is a part of the history. And I think it's an unfortunate part of history. It's not the only part of baseball history that has a, a black mark next to it. No. When you talk about gambling and how uh, prominent gambling was in the early part of the game's history. Um, obviously, when you talk about a segregated league, sure. that is just, there is no greater uh, uh, taint of the game than, than segregation. Well, that's absolutely true. And, and you know, look, I mean, you don't even have to, you, you talk about segregation, talk about gambling. Everybody knows what a huge role amphetamines played in the game in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and all the way up. But especially in the 60s and 70s, the greatest players in the game have admitted either taking it once or twice or, yeah, occasionally dipping in. Uh, I thought about it. Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, the greatest players in the history of the game admitted to at least having tried or used them or whatever. These are illegal drugs that are performance enhancers. Okay, they're you know I've I've had this actually this argument specifically with Bob Costas because Bob said well these those it's true but it's not a fair comparison because those drugs did not shift the game itself they did not transform the the numbers and the players of the games itself. Uh, you know, you can make that argument, but you you can also make the other argument. You can make the argument that that the big stolen base numbers of the '70s um, were were driven by by amphetamines. You can make that argument. You can make the argument that guys who played every day, which was such a big thing, um, could they have done that without amphetamines? I mean, it's 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 maybe a smaller version of it, but it's still the same thing. And and that's a big big part of the game. And there's so many. There's so many things that the game, you know, was it, it looks back on with some some level of shame and and you know cheating and and all sorts of things going on. I mean, the the greatest moment in baseball history, you would argue, could argue, is the is the is the Bobby Thompson home run. We now know Bobby Thompson knew what pitch was coming because of some rigged electrical system to tell him what pitch was coming. Now, you tell me. I mean, that's. You, you can't cheat. cheating. Can't yeah. You can't cheat much more than that. So so look, that's part of the game, and I'm not trying to uh, in any way excuse the steroid users because they knew what they were doing. They knew they were cheating the game. They knew they were cheating the honest players, and all of those things are true. But I, I don't know why this particular crime has been treated so horribly, like a crime. Um, when when you look at this is really fits right in with the rest of the game. There's all people have always been looking for an edge and people always will look for an edge. I totally agree. Let's move off of the politics of PDs for a little bit and actually discuss the players on the ballot. Uh, tell me about your general voting philosophy. What numbers do you typically find uh, most important or most valuable when looking at uh, when evaluating a player? Well, I, I really, I really break it down probably more than uh, than I should, and you know, I, I look at at every player and uh, and then end up writing, uh, you know, huge uh, huge entries on every player in the ballot. Which this year the ballot was so big, it, that's it, it became a three part uh, mega series or whatever. But you know, I think you know, I like war, I like Jaws, I like you know, I like the idea of of looking at a player's peak as well as a player's longevity. I think those things are, are really good. But I, I try to break it down in a lot of things. It's not just numbers. I try to talk to uh, you know, people who played against them in that era. I, try to, I really try to, to delve in as much as I can. I mean, there are some guys that are, that are obvious. And there are some guys that are borderline, and there are some guys that are obviously not Hall of Famers. And, and you separate those, and you've got still quite a few players, especially on this year's ballot, I would say you have – you know, as as many as uh, I don't know, ten guys that might be Hall of Famers, might not be. It, it kind of just depends on what kind of Hall of Fame you're looking for, and and I think that's that to me is the big thing. I, I think when you're a voter, the most important thing is to draw the line of who of where you think the Hall of Fame begins and ends. Are you a big Hall of Fame guy? Or are you a small Hall of Fame guy? If you're a small Hall of Fame guy that thinks that really. Only the guys who who are just absolutely automatic, you know, you see them, you know, they're Hall of Famers. Then every ballot is going to be very, very small for you. I'm I'm leaning more the other way. I'm more of a big Hall of Fame guy. I think the standards of the Hall of Fame, uh, as they are now, um, are pretty open, and 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 I think it's really important to. Uh, to to look and and not allow guys to just get knocked off the ballot without a fair you know reading and I, I think that's 
that to me has been the shame of the Hall of Fame voting over the last whatever 20 years is that Lou Whitaker and Dwight Evans and very, very good players never got the argument made for them. And we're going to see that this year where Kenny Lofton's going to fall off the ballot his first year on it. And Kenny Lofton is a lot better than the sniff test will ever give him credit for. He is. He's, he's a terrific, terrific player. I mean, he's one of those guys that if this ballot wasn't so loaded, uh, I would have voted for Kenny Lofton. Not, not because I think Kenny Lofton is definitely a Hall of Famer. I don't know. He's, he's very, very close. But I would want to keep him on the ballot. I'd want to do anything I could to keep him on the ballot so that the conversation could be made. Because I think Kenny Lofton like Tim Raines, has a very subtle but fascinating Hall of Fame case. And I don't think uh, – you can't make it in one year. It's something that has to be sort of slowly built in people's minds. Uh, and, like, I think it is building with Tim Raines. And, and, uh, and it's a shame that he's not going to get that chance. And I hope that the Hall of Fame is going to revisit that because that's, that, to me, there are now <clears throat> probably – eight to ten players at least who got knocked off the ballot within a year or two who um, who never really got a fair a fair hearing in my view. I agree. And it's uh it's fascinating the small hall argument because I'm fascinated by this because the small hall is not a thing. No. The small hall is not a thing with any of the major team sports. It's not a thing in basketball, football, baseball or hockey. There are basically with every Hall of Fame three tiers of players. And I'm going to go four tiers. The first tier of player is the all-time greats, players who are among the best to ever play the game. So for baseball, you're talking about Mays and Ted Williams, and there's obviously no debate whether those guys are Hall of Famers, right? The next group down, you have still guys where there's really no debate. You want to talk about Reggie Jackson and uh, George Brett and Jim Palmer or Juan Marichal. Nobody disputes that those guys are in the Hall of Fame. They're just not the best to ever play their position or the best of, of their era, but they're still, I think, what most would call obvious Hall of Famers. The next group down, you have people like Andre Dawson. And Andre Dawson is someone where you can make a case for that he should be in. You can make a case that he should be out. But Andre Dawson is where that line blurs. And it's always the third group of players that get the most argument against them or for them. Very rarely, unless a player has a a, a steroid taint or a gambling taint, that we see a player in that first or second group not get in. It's the third group that causes confusion. But the fourth group that drives people crazy are just blatant mistakes. And I think that's what's happening with Jack Morris right now. The Jack Morris getting in isn't... um, People aren't screaming about that because they're like, oh, he's borderline. I think people see Jack Morris as a blatant mistake. I think a lot of people see Jack Morris's career as very similar to David Wells. And David Wells is going to get knocked off the ballot his first year on it. He's going to get about 1% of the vote. Jack Morris is very close to getting in. And I don't think people see how that's possible. Well, it, it's, it's um, you know, the, I've written probably spilled more words about Jack Morris than, uh, you know, enough to, <laughs> enough to do several Jack Morris books if I wanted. Um, he, the way I look at Jack Morris is this. Jack Morris represents something to people. That's why he keeps getting the votes. He represents something that I don't think ever existed, but he represents the guy who would you know, pitch every fourth day, which he did. He, his, his durability is extraordinary. The guy who would never want the ball taken from him, which is absolutely true. He was, he would fight for the complete games all the time. But then he also represents the guy who would pitch to the score. The guy who would, if you gave up three, he'd give up two, but if you give up seven, he'd give up five. The, the guy who was like incredible when he needed to be in the playoffs, in the big games, that's when he really was just shine. And of course he has game seven of the 91 world series to point to. So he represents any one 255 games, you know, which, which still means something to too many people. So, there you have like this narrative that has built up about Jack Morris and it keeps building and it keeps building. Um, and it's built up to the point where I really thought for sure he was going to get in this year. I just thought, well, this is a done deal. He got 60, what, 66, 67% of the vote last year. And I just thought he's in, he's going to get in. And what's happened is the hall of fame, uh, confusion of this ballot has really muddied the waters and I think has hurt him tremendously. And I don't think he's going to get in this year. I don't think he's going to necessarily even top what he did last year, but he'll get in. And if it's not, you know, this year, which I don't think it will be next year is his last year on the ballot. 
And you throw that little sort of bit of sympathy in there along with the rest of the stuff. I think he'll get in next year. If he doesn't get in next year, he'll get in through some veterans committee. And again, I think it's because he represents something to people. I also think it's, it's one of those things. And and this is what I keep saying to people. I have nothing against Jack Morris. I I think Jack Morris is a, is a, was a fine pitcher and he seems like a fine guy and, and I'll be happy for him when he goes in the hall of fame, just like I was happy for Andre Dawson. I didn't vote for him, but he went in Jim Rice. I didn't vote for him. He went in. I I think, you know, good for them. and And congratulations. But here's the problem. You put Jack Morris in, there are 50 pitchers that were as good as Jack Morris. Now, what do you do with them? You have to ignore them because they don't have the same what narrative as Jack Morris. So David Cohn, who was a better pitcher than Jack Morris, he isn't going into the Hall of Fame. Nobody's even thinking about putting David Cohn into the Hall of Fame. But David Cohn was a better pitcher than Jack Morris. And really, you could say that, like I say, about many, many people. And you mentioned David Wells on this year's ballot. You compare David Wells, you know, with Jack Morris, and you're looking at a guy who is at least as good, if not better, and he's going to get, as you say, you know, 12 votes, and uh, and Jack Morris is going to get 65, 66 percent. I agree, and what Jack Morris really is, and I think we've hit a point where to say someone is not a Hall of Famer has become an insult. And that's ridiculous. Jack Morris was a very good pitcher. He was very durable. He pitched on good teams. He won a lot of games. Good for him. There's nothing wrong with being a very good pitcher. Look, if if you were a uh, if a general manager had Jack Morris in his minor league system right now, they would be doing backflips. Absolutely. If you were if you were going to do a draft right now and you could guarantee that you would get Jack Morris's career out of a pitcher, he'd be the number one pick every year. Teams would be ecstatic to have Jack Morris. That doesn't mean he's a Hall of Famer. That what Jack Morris represents is an example of the sniff test gone wrong. I found this fascinating because as Morris has been growing in the last few years, we saw Burt Blylevin get in. And Blylevin is very deserving, but he was also another example of the sniff test gone wrong. The narrative surrounding Jack Morris's career is not a reflection of his actual career. He is not as good as the narrative suggests, where Blylevin much better than the narrative suggests. Burt Blylevin is a much better pitcher than Jack Morris to the point where it's not even close. Yet I'm not sure narrative tells you that. I'm not sure the sniff test tells you that. And I no. think that's a problem. Well, I mean, the sniff test is a big thing. I mean, to me, you know, when I look back at, at baseball in the 80s, I look back at Dave Steve, and I think Dave Steve was a terrific, terrific pitcher. I mean, really great pitcher. Borderline Hall of Fame kind of career. Um, to the point where he could have had a, a conversation, by the way, which he never got on on the ballot. But you know, really good pitcher, better pitcher than Jack Morris at exactly the same time as Jack Morris. I don't look back at Dave Steve not being in the Hall of Fame as some sort of injustice or as some sort of like, well, that's an insult to who Dave Steve is. Dave Steve was a really, really good pitcher who's not in the Hall of Fame. That's that that is Jack Morris. If he would, if he was that player, I, I think you could you could say. He, he would certainly not be an injustice if he was there with Dave Steve in the, yeah, really, really good player who's not in the Hall of Fame. There are a lot of really, really good players who are not in the Hall of Fame, and you could put a team of those together and uh, and win a pennant every single year. So, yeah, I, I do think that that one part of it has been really a negative, and I've tried to try to counter that a little bit. The the idea that anytime you say somebody's not a Hall of Famer, you're insulting them. I, I a couple of years ago, somebody made that point to me, and I thought, you know, there's there, there's something to that, and that's why I've tried now, and, and, and this year I'm doing it again. I'm trying to write something about every player on the ballot, because I think every player on the ballot, even, even you know, the worst guy on there, maybe Todd Walker or Mike Stanton, was a terrific baseball player, a fun baseball player, a good baseball player, had good years. You don't get on the Hall of Fame ballot unless you've been in the big leagues for 10 years. You can't be in the big leagues for 10 years and not be a good baseball player. So I think that we we somehow do confuse things when we start saying, okay, I think Jack Morris isn't a Hall of Famer. Oh, you're insulting Jack Morris. It's a shame. That's not how it should be. It's everything that you talk about when you talk about the Hall of Fame is it starts with this is a really, really good player. Now let's discuss whether or not he belongs in the 250, you know, person Hall of Fame. And, 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 and that's, that to me is, is, uh, you know, gets lost. And, and especially with the, with the real nastiness about the, uh, about the steroids thing, I think that's only, that's only doubled really. I agree. Let's go through the guys on the ballot themselves. Let me know where your, uh, where your votes will lie this year. Let's start at the top. Barry Bonds. 
Well, I, I'm actually not really supposed to give away who I voted for, but I think it's probably pretty clear. Uh, I will tell you people that I that I had in my final uh, 14, um, and and then you can kind of go from there. Uh, but obviously, Barry Bonds is the guy that I did vote for. And I imagine if you vote for Bonds, you're going to vote for Clemens as well. Two of the greatest players who ever lived. That's exactly right. How about Kurt Schilling? I'm a big Kurt Schilling guy. I, I, you, you, you were talking about the first, second, third, and fourth levels of, of the Hall of Fame. Um, I think Kurt Schilling is pretty much in that second level. I think he is a he is a guy that should not be looked at as a borderline Hall of Famer. I think the I only agree. reason he's looked at as a as a borderline Hall of Famer is because of his relatively low win total. Other than that, his career is amazing. Three thousand strikeouts, uh, the best strikeout to walk ratio of any pitcher uh, with a thousand or more strikeouts. Uh, Hall of Famer to me, it's it's not a not a question. He exceeds Hall of Fame standards and wins above replacement, ERA plus, OPS plus against, strikeouts. I mean, what do you want from the guy? He yeah. uh, he is comfortably in that second tier. This is one of the things that, to me, makes the voting process, it makes the voters and the museum look bad, though, is Jack Morris is going to get roughly twice as many votes as Schilling. Yeah, well, this year. And, and, and you know, Morris didn't get that much his first year. I Schilling is a guy that I think people will under will he'll grow on people. Of course, next year is going to change a lot of things because some pretty great pitchers join the ballot next year. So it, it's going to be very interesting to watch. But I think Schilling will get in. I think it's it, it won't take him that long to get in. I, I think Schilling will probably register in right you know thirty five percent or something like that, and then I think he'll move up. I think he'll move up pretty quickly. But it does bring up another guy. Uh, Kevin Brown, who was knocked off the ballot, who has a very, very similar career to Kurt Schilling, um, and and you know Kevin Brown never got uh, never got his argument, and that's a uh, you know that's that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. I think Brown should be in, but Brown was named in the Mitchell Report as a steroid user, and was, as we've seen, those guys aren't getting any respect or no. any of those guys aren't getting in. I think that Brown is also an example of the sniff test gone wrong, though, because even with steroid use, there are still roughly 20% of the people that vote for McGuire, even though they know he used steroids. I think Palmero is right around, what, 15%? 15, uh, or t- yeah. yeah, he's right around there. So there was a, a disconnect with the sniff test. I think Kevin Brown was at least as good as a pitcher as Palmero was a hitter. So part of the reason he got bounced was the sniff test, but certainly a majority of the reason he got bounced early was the steroid connection as well. Sure. How about Sammy Sosa? He is in my final 14. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. He, you know, I think Sosa and McGuire have very, very, very similar cases. I mean, their war numbers are about the same. Um, you know, you have to ask, I mean, Sosa, what, three, three, three years with 60-plus homers and, and, you know, and never, you know, he, he, was, he was named in sort of that vague steroid thing, but but again, it's it's it's. Here's the thing that amazes me about all this. Other than Palmero, not a single person on this ballot tested positive for steroids. Not a single one. And I realize that we've come to the point where, we're like, well, but nobody, there was no testing, and and this has been proven, and that's been proven. Everything, even with Bonds and, and Clemens, is kind of hazy, and and you don't really know what it means. You don't really know where it follows. So, you know, I I, I think Sosa is. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna judge him. Um, you know, the same way I'm gonna judge McGuire, the same way I'm gonna judge Bond, same way I'm gonna judge uh, Palmero for the most part. And uh, he's very close. But to me, there's there to me there were 14 guys on this ballot, 15 if you include uh, um, Kenny Lofton, who I think absolutely deserve very intensive conversation for the Hall of Fame, and he's one of them. See, I have 14. And uh, I have Lofton as one of them, so we'll be, I'm curious to see where we find the difference. You have Morris as one of the, as one of your 15. I do not. Oh, okay. Well, we'll find that. We'll figure that well, out. Well, I have a per, I have a personal favorite, so that, that's every everybody deserves one. Okay, fair enough. The, do you make a distinction between Palmero and the other guys linked or suspected of PD use because he actually tested positive? I do. I do. And and I'm and I should say it's not it's not one that I use as like a as like a compelling, okay, this person is yes, this person is no, but I do think there's a difference. I think that when Rafael Palmero tested positive, one, there was testing in place, which is, which is another thing, and two, it was fully in the rules at that point, not, not just like mentioned in some vague, you know, it, you know, Article 76 or whatever. It was understood. You use steroids, you get caught, it will be public shame, it will be public humiliation, uh, you know your your career will be 
uh, judged in a very different way. Everybody understood that when he tested positive. He'd already stepped in front of Congress and said all those things. Now, he, he still claims it was a false positive and, and so on and so forth, and I understand all of that. But I think it's different. I think it's different. I think that line, um, when they started testing, I think you look at people who test positive at that point. In my mind, they're a little bit different. I, I don't know how you feel about that. I'm torn, to be honest with you, because realistically, Mark McGuire did the same thing as Rafael Palmero. They both used steroids. Palmero did it the year that there was testing. And I understand that there is a difference that baseball finally just started to get serious about testing. But part of me is like he did the exact same thing. In the end, they both took steroids. They both took drugs to increase their performance. They were both illegal, whether or not they were testing or not. So I think that the writers are making a mistake by not putting the deserving PD guys in. And I I kind of think that that line is, is blurry. I would rather see... With someone like Palmero and Manny Ramirez, obviously, those are the two Hall of Fame caliber players who have actually tested positive. I would like, I'd rather see that, the mention of their positive steroid tests, on their plaque. I would rather see them in and acknowledge that they used than kept out on some sort of moral judgment. Well, I don't disagree with that, but I'm, I still think it's different. I'm not saying that it's, like I say, I'm not saying it is the compelling factor in whether or not I vote for him. But to me, it's like, I always said this about Pete Rose, who I'm a huge fan of and have you know, I wrote a book basically about him and all of that. Pete Rose knew exactly what he was doing when he, when he gambled on baseball, he knew if he got caught, he was going to be banned from the game. He knew it. He might not have wanted to accept it, might not wanted to believe it, but every single day when he went into the clubhouse, it was on the sign on the wall. Everybody understood the rule. I think that those guys in the nineties, yeah, they knew in some vague way that, that it was wrong, but they knew they weren't going to get caught. They knew there was no testing in place. They knew that everybody in baseball was kind of wink, wink, look the other way. And it was different when Palmero got caught. It was different. It was understood at the time exactly what the penalty was, exactly that there was some sort of policing effort in place. I think that's different. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that means that I would not vote for Rafael Palmero. What I'm saying is that, if you get caught now, you get caught in, you know, after 2005, test positive, that's, that's to me is a different, that's a different mark on your career than, you know, oh, you, you know, admitting you used it at a time when there was no, there was no testing and, and everybody was looking the other way. I just think it's different. I agree. And it is different because the culture of the game was different. Sure. What's different between Palmero even, and Manny, even people that tested positive, and Pete Rose, is that Palmero and Manny were punished. They were punished by baseball. They served suspensions. They were fined. They didn't get paid during their suspension period. Pete Rose is ineligible for the Hall of Fame. Rafael Palmero tested positive, yet he's still on the ballot. Sure. Any further punishment against him is just the writers deciding to punish a player, and I can't get behind that concept. Well, I understand that, but, but I would say this, okay? I mean, that's, that may be true, but let's say there's a player that you look at and, and they cork their bat, okay? Now, we all know that supposedly corking your bat doesn't do anything. It was all a complete waste of time or whatever. But let's say there's somebody who you know corked their bat. They admit it. They come out and they said that they corked their bat. I'm not saying that that would necessarily in your mind say, okay, well, that person's not a Hall of Famer, but you would have to put that into their large viewpoint of, of their career. You would have to incorporate that in their career, and that's all I'm saying. I think that you have to incorporate positive drug tests in a career in a different way than you incorporate you know, that somebody was using when everybody was using at a time that baseball wasn't even policing. I want to ask you about one guy, and I think another will join him this year. And if I were Jeff Idelson, these are the guys that would bother me most. Jeff Bagwell and Mike Piazza. Jeff Bagwell was not named in the Mitchell Report. He's never been the subject of a federal investigation. No teammate has ever claimed to have seen him use. No drug dealer has ever claimed to have provided him with drugs. He is denied ever using steroids, and the same is true for Mike Piazza. Piazza's not going to get in. I think that's fairly obvious. Those two would bother me most. If I were Jeff Idelson, look, there is a character clause. I disagree that the character clause should exist. I disagree with keeping Bonds and Clemens out. But at least you can say, look, there is significant evidence that those guys used. To just keep someone out on suspicion, like they're doing with Bagwell and Piazza... I think is blatantly wrong. Well, I agree with you. I mean, I agree, I, and, and I can tell you I've voted for both of those guys. But, but it's, it's, I will say this. I think that's what, to me, that's what the character clause does. I think the character clause gives people 
it, it just allows people in a neighborhood that, frankly, I don't think they should be in. I don't think that a baseball writer is qualified to judge anybody's character. And, and really, I don't know that anybody is qualified to judge anybody's character. But, but certainly, we, the reason that baseball writers choose the Hall of Fame, the singular reason, is because supposedly we know something about baseball. That's it. That's all. Nobody, nobody gets into the BBWAA because they pass some sort of character clause test or some sort of morality, you know, we took morality courses. We watch baseball games, and hopefully we learn a little something. We talk to people about the game. We know baseball, and that is that is really, uh, you know, I've been ranting about the character clause for years, and, and, and I think that this is probably the best explanation I can give of the character clause. The very first Hall of Fame uh, class, 1936, of course the, the, the greatest class in, in the history of, of, of baseball, might have been might have been you know matched or close to match this year if Fonz and Clemens had gotten in. But the greatest class in the history of baseball, who got the highest percentage of the vote in that very first class? The worst human that's in the <laughs> Hall of Fame, Ty Cobb. So the character clause from day one was irrelevant. There was no character clause in 1936 when Ty Cobb got more votes than anybody, more than Walter Johnson, more than Christy Mathewson, more than, 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 than Honest Wagner, more than anybody. I mean, these are these guys, I mean, Babe Ruth had his own issues, but the other guys were like, not only were they great players, they were unbelievable character. That was the whole point of Walter Johnson and Honus Wagner. I mean, these guys were these incredible human beings, and, and everybody loved them. And, and Ty Cobb got the most votes because he was the best player. That was what they viewed. And that, to me, is exactly what everybody should take from the Hall of Fame. Vote for the best players and try to stop trying, in my view, to, to try to guess who did, who cheated, who didn't cheat. You know, I mean, it's, I, I, I do find it offensive when you start trying to guess. I saw somebody, uh, maybe one, maybe two people, talked about Biggio. Craig Biggio is a possible sterile. What are, you, are you kidding me? I mean, unless you have some evidence, some proof, it, just it, to, to say that sort of thing, I mean, it's, it's libelous and it's wrong, and, and, and it really hurts the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Agreed, especially when we see how much it does to a, a person's legacy if they have any association with steroids or PEDs. To just, I, I, I read the same article, I think you did, where some guy was like, oh, BGO must have used because he was a teammate of uh, Clemens, Pettit, and Bagwell. He put Bagwell in that group. And I'm like, look, if we're going by that, I mean, Derek Jeter was a teammate of Pettit sure. and Clemens as well. <laughs> and, I mean, and Giambi and A-Rod, I, I did exactly <laughs> right. No, I, it's... It's, it's obscene. It really is. And, and it's a shame, but I think that's the character clause gone wrong. I think when you start opening that door and saying, okay, look, it's your job to judge character, I think people are going to start crawling into to all sorts of places. There is one thing I disagree with you with, though, that you said that there's a singular reason why it's the writers who are voting, and it's because that they watch a lot of baseball. There's another reason which has been lost, and it's supposed to be because they're objective. And I think objectivity is one of the things that, that's been lost with the current group of voters. That's probably true. I mean, I think that, you know, it started at the time, let's face it, this has been grandfathered in. The, the, the baseball writers uh, started voting for the Hall of Fame when the baseball writers were the only real entity that could vote for the Hall of Fame. I mean, they could have had players or they could have put a panel together, but the most respected group uh, were the baseball writers. There was no television. There was very little radio. Um, this was this was a time when the baseball writers kind of ruled the world. and And so... You know, this has been going on for years. And, and I should say, I, you know, to, to stand up for the baseball writers, I think the baseball writers have largely done uh, a, been a great credit to the Hall of Fame. I think that the baseball writers, their choices for the Hall of Fame, um, you know, you can, you can pick it here, pick at them here, pick at them there, but they've largely been, you know, pretty, pretty solid and pretty good choices. And I think this one has flummoxed the baseball writers, the, the, the whole steroid question. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to take a little while for it to to sort itself out, but uh, but I do think that that we are seeing too many things that uh, that 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 cross the line of objectivity. I would definitely agree with that. You mentioned that there were 15 guys. I have 14. My 14 are Bonds, Clemens, Bagwell, Piazza, Schilling, Reigns, Biggio, Trammell, Walker, Martinez, McGuire, Lofton, Palmero, Sosa. I imagine those are all in that group of yours. Who's your 15th? Well, my 15th is a guy that I voted for every year um, in the last few years, and that's Dale Murphy. And I fully understand the arguments against Dale Murphy, um, but my feeling on it has been this. Dale Murphy had this extraordinary peak 
He won the two MVPs, and you can argue whether or not he should have won him or Tim Raines should have won him, but, but he did win two MVPs. He was a terrific, terrific player for about six or seven years, and then he completely fell off the cliff. Um, but I think at his peak, he was a better player than Jim Rice, for instance. Uh, I think he was a better player uh, at his peak than Andre Dawson was. I think he was, he was a truly great player for a period of time. And what I've always tried to use with, with the Dale Murphy uh, argument is if we're going to start talking about character, then, then you should reward players who, who really represent the game. And I think Dale Murphy did that. Uh, Dale Murphy, in many ways, uh, created sort of baseball in the South. I mean, he was you know, really the first big hero uh, of Southern baseball, Major League Baseball. I mean, Hank Aaron, of course, was, but, but Hank Aaron spent most of his career in Milwaukee. He was, he was the guy in the late 70s and, and early to mid-80s when the team wasn't very good, um, that really spread baseball throughout the South. And, and uh, I think he was a really good player. I, I certainly understand many, many arguments against him. Um, but, but he, to me, is, is a guy that uh, has always been, uh, always been close to my heart. And, and, and I think he's, he's a very, very close Hall of Fame guy. You've been listening to Joe Posnanski. You can read Joe's work on Sports on Earth and check out his blog, joeposnanski.blogspot. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate it.